we jump into Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to get a um, stool. I don't like to sit down, but um, I knocked a, a board off of a... trying to build a shed at my house. And um, I had a board holding up some posts eight feet in the air, a two-by-six, as I was doing some other work up top. And when I got ready to no longer need that board, I knocked it off with a sledgehammer. Thankfully, I got my children out of the way, but um, the boys were playing back there with me. Joshua was actually helping, and I said, y'all watch out. But the board hit a ladder, ricocheted back, and hit me in the shin. And I got a big gash in the shin and a big old bone bruise right on the side of the shin. So standing is a little bit of a challenge right now. So uh, I'm going to sit down if that's okay. It happened over the weekend. Uh, so I hope that's okay with you guys. I think you can still see me. Jim Fuller's not here to give me a hard time, so we'll be good to go. Now you were a carpenter, too. Oh, I can do it all, John. John, I can do it all. Listen, Jesus was a carpenter. Preacher's got to learn to be a carpenter. You know, that's just part of the course. Uh, I don't know how good a carpenter I am. It'll, it'll, a lot more shed is not that hard, right? You throw some boards up there and be done with it. So uh, that's the way it goes. Um, not building a house. Um, but uh, as we jump in this, uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we are, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're moving toward the end. We spent a lot of time in chapter 5. We spent a lot of time about the Beatitudes and then understanding how Jesus fulfills the law and what the law's purpose is in our lives. And then we jumped into the beginning of chapter 6 where Jesus challenged his disciples to not be hypocrites like the religious leaders of that day were. So the Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, were hypocrites. They would do one thing, and as they did that one thing, they would do it for show. They would do it for external glory. They would do it to let everybody see how spiritual they were. But in their hearts, they were distant from God. In fact, they did not want to have a relationship with God at all. They didn't want to live in a righteous uh, way with the Lord. And so uh, God, or Jesus calls them hypocrites. And so he says to those of us who would follow him, who would accept this call in our lives, don't be like the hypocrites. In other words, be consistent with what you say and what you do. How you do how you say what you're going to do and how, that, how you actually believe needs to line up to be a full follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a member of his kingdom. In the beginning part of chapter 6, he talks about three different ways for us to do that. He says, number one, we are to do it by self-sacrifice. He talks about giving to the needy. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. In other words, you give privately, you give quietly, you don't make a big fuss about what you're doing, you just meet the needs of other people. And then as you do those things, you trust that the Father who is in heaven will see what you have done and reward you. Then he says, secondly, we are to do it by self-discipline. And he talks about prayer. And he talks about the importance of having prayer-filled lives. And we talked about the Lord's Prayer last week. He gives a model prayer there. But self-sacrifice, that we try to be consistent in the way we live our lives by sacrificing, but also disciplining ourselves in prayer and Bible study, spending time with our Father, understanding how to live in relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and the ministry of His Spirit. And then thirdly, in Matthew chapter 6, he says we do it by self-denial. And he talked about fasting as a specific example. But we deny ourselves. The Christian life is denying ourselves to live to the glory of God. In other words, in all three of those categories, or in all three of those ways of being of following Jesus, that we express our, the consistency, or the, to use a modern word that's very popular in the world of religion, authenticity, 
The way we are authentic in our faith is by self-sacrifice, self-discipline, and self-denial. Because the emphasis of all of those three expressions is to take the attention off ourselves and put it on the Lord. Take it off ourselves and put it on the Lord. And so now we move into the latter part of chapter 6 in verses with which we are probably most familiar. And he says these words beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, uh, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so as Jesus is diving into this and explaining, is pushing this message on further. He talks about the importance of not laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He talks about the importance of keeping our eyes focused on the prize. And he talks about the importance of not serving two masters, but rather deciding we're going to serve one master, one master only, and that is God. What is the result or what is the context out of which these three commands come? Well, it's simply that when we don't follow his advice, we don't put the Lord first, we put ourselves first, we focus in on ourselves, we have a tendency to be anxious. So he reads the, he find, we find these words in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now those are familiar words to us. And you may wonder, how does Jesus connect... Hypocrisy and self-denial, self-sacrifice, and self-discipline to these commands, not having, focusing our attention with treasures in the right place, treasures in heaven, focusing our ideas on making sure we have clean eyes, eyes on the prize, and focusing our idea on having the Lord as our only master, and then connects it to anxiety. And I believe, and I'm helped with by Sinclair Ferguson on this, I, I, I believe that what he's doing is that Jesus is saying in the first part of those verses about treasures in heaven and the way our eyes are focused and with reference to our challenge and our tendency to serve two masters rather than one, we create anxiety in our lives. And the way we connect that to self-sacrifice, self-denial, and self-discipline is 
because we focus on ourselves more so than we're focusing on God. So the idea is, at the conclusion, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry for itself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. In essence, what he's saying is, seek me, focus on me, and everything else will be taken care of. And so anytime we think about anxiety, which is a major, major issue in most of our lives. Now, I recognize that some of us have anxiety at a much deeper and a much broader level, and uh, others of us just have worrying issues. But I would imagine the majority of us, at some point in, in our lives, have had, will have, or currently do have uh, a struggle with anxiety and worry. And if that's the case, then we know, based on what Jesus says here, we are in good company. Because Jesus is speaking to the earliest disciples who would follow him, those five or six that he had called to himself, and then everybody else who's there trying to figure out, who is this Jesus guy? And if they got the problem, we got the problem, then the message that Jesus gives us is something that we definitely need to hear. That message Jesus gave them is the same message he gives us. So let me, first of all, say that uh, I think he says three things that lead to anxiety in our lives. He, in a sense, diagnoses the problem of anxiety in our lives. Why do we have anxiety? Anxiety is a result of other things. It is a symptom, if it, as it were, of a greater problem. And so what Jesus says, there's three things, three reasons. Number one, he says our treasures um, are in the wrong place. Verses 19 and 21, I've already read this, but let me read them again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus talks about treasures here, he's talking about either resources, finances, money, or he's talking about things money can buy. Why do we say that? Because he refers to don't lay them up on earth where moths and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. Those are material possessions. And what Jesus is saying here is our temptation is to focus ourselves and focus our ideas on the concerns and the things of this world. And when we do, we put our faith, we put our faith, our hope in wealth, possessions, and even experiences. And Jesus is saying one of the reasons we have anxiety in our lives is because we look around us and we don't have everything that we think we need and or want. And as such, we get anxious about it. We're worried about whether the, the dollar's going to stretch. We're worried about uh, whether we can continue to live in a way that, that reflects the values we have for ourselves, as it were. And so our temptation is to establish in our lives treasures and a practice of ma amassing treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. I, I dare say... Um, there's probably not a person in this room who hasn't at some point woken up in the morning, stayed up late at night, or wrestled with rest and relaxation because you're worried about how the ends are going to meet. Worried about what the next step is. Worried about whether or not we're going to be able 
to afford what we want to afford or what we think we need to afford. And so the challenge is for us is to say, all right, we've got to sit back and say, are we placing our treasures in heaven? Are we amassing our treasures in the way in which we serve the Lord, the way in which we meet the others, other people's needs, in the way in which we discipline ourselves to rest in Christ? Or are we doing it by the measures of success in our world today? Uh, it's become very popular in a lot of places. You turn TV on, you hear what's called a health and wealth prosperity gospel. The idea is God seeks, God desires to bless you. God's going to give you this. You need to put a little seed money here, etc. And all that does is continue to focus us in this life rather than in the one to come. We need to make sure we're focusing in on the glory of God, setting our treasures in heaven. What are we doing in order to uh, establish that heavenly dwelling place, that home that we're going to be with? At some point, everything we have in this life is going to fade away. And it's always at risk of being stolen, burned, washed away, etc. And so we've got to make sure we understand our treasures are to be stored in heaven. So he says one of the reasons we tend to have anxiety in our lives is because we're, we're placing our treasures, we're amassing our treasures in the wrong place. It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we amassing our treasures in the wrong place? The second thing he says is that uh, we, uh, we're looking at life, we're viewing life wrong. Look at what he says in verses 22 and 23. I'll read them. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He, he's speaking of the eye of the spirit or the heart. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Then he talks about the eye. It's a, it's a different idiom that we would use today. But the idea is, where is, where is our heart set? Is our heart full of light? Is it full of truth? If it is, and we view the world through the lens that God has given us in his word, and we see the light of Christ, and we walk our li- in our lives through the light of Christ, then, then we're going to have meaning in our lives. We're going to see the beauty in the world around us. We're going to be able to take things in stride and not be so stressed out, so angry, so negative, so irritatable, or irritable and, and, and irritated in life, Right? We're going to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to view this through the lens that God has said all things exist for the glory of God. Am I setting my eyes, my heart on Christ? Am I setting my heart on Jesus? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. That's the challenge. And if we're we're not viewing the world properly through the lens of the Bible, and we're, we're, we're not seeing everything that is that is good and great and that God is doing in our world and our lives. Maybe the question is, are we looking in the right place? Is our eye focused in the right object? So we have anxiety because our vision, our thinking about life is wrong. We treasure, we set up treasures on earth. We have thinking wrong, wrong thinking. But we also, I think he says, our service is split between two masters. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either or he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And here's, here's what Jesus says. The entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is pushing us to the idea that Jesus is Lord. In fact, when Peter makes a, a confession of faith in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say uh, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, my fathers in heaven. And your now new name is Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, the rock of confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the king of glory. As such, he demands our full and continued devotion. And the challenge for many of us is that we are splitting our devotion between the things of our world and the Lord. Whether it be to meet the needs of our family, whether it be to do a good job in our office, or whether it be uh, to uh, have certain resources so that we can uh, enjoy certain life experiences, etc. But Jesus says, you've got to learn to devote yourself fully unto me. You can't serve me and anything else. And the reason you have a tendency to serve everything else is because you ultimately want whatever else can bring, whatever that, oh, those other things can bring to you. So really it's about the self. So self-sacrifice, self-discipline, self-denial to trust Jesus. And so we don't have to become masters of everything in our world and all our desires and all the stuff going on in our lives. Jesus is the master. We submit to the master who is the Lord. But one of the reasons we have anxieties, we're double-minded. To use the phrase of James, it's the same phrase, double-mindedness. We're split. We're trying to ride the fence. We have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God. We're trying to make our decisions and live a life of, uh, uh, you know, where we're walking a narrow line. And the reality of it is, is that Jesus says, I demand 100% of you. And if you trust me, seek me, I'll provide everything else. So we have anxiety oftentimes worry, concern, because our treasures are in the wrong place, because our thinking isn't right, and also because our service is split between two masters. And so we, we're, we're living double-minded lives. So what's the antidote? So any diagnosis, right? You got anxiety. Any diagnosis, is, it leads to treatment. I mean, when uh, folks, when, when Dr. Marion was practicing here in town, still practicing some in Greenville, but practicing here in town, you would go and say, I got something going on in my eye. And he'd say, well, I'll tell you what, you've got, this is what you got. Glaucoma, let's just say whatever. All right, here's something. And you say, okay, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Uh, you have a nice day. What kind of doctor would he be, right? He'd say, all right, you got glaucoma, and here's some drops, right? Did you need to take or whatever, however you treat glaucoma. I don't even know. Some of you may. But however you treat it. But it would be one of those things where he would say, right, the whole point of the illustration is not on how you treat glaucoma. It's on whether or not glaucoma is treated by the doctor. And he's going to treat you because he's diagnosed you. Look, man, I got some issues with my eye. Well, I'll tell you what the issues are. Here's the way to fix it, right? And so Jesus is not just diagnosing our problems. He's giving us the treatment. So what is the treatment? Well, he gives us four things in this section. Don't be anxious. Number one, they usually lie up, line up with the others. If you've got anxiety because your treasure's in the wrong place, he says you need to look at all of your life and recognize that everything in your life is part of a larger story and a greater perspective. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so what he says here is, right, the tendency when we're anxious, especially when it comes to things we think we need and we can't have, the tendency is to be consumed with, well, how are we going to eat this week? What are we going to drink this week? What kind of clothes are we going to wear? Where am I going to live? All those things, we're focused in on those, those, those worldly things and as we narrow our focus in on those things, we become consumed by those things. 
and we become consumed with those things and then consumed by those things. And Jesus says you need to stop and look beyond and realize that life is more than what you're putting on and what you're eating and what you're drinking and even where you live. Life is about much more than that. And so Jesus says you you need to, first of all, take a step back and, and look beyond just those immediate needs. We live in a world where the tyranny of the moment is supreme. What I mean by that, or the tyranny of the immediate, it's got to be done right now. And if it's not done right now, we're obsessed with it. And so we need to step back and push back and say, nope, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to look at life at a much wider angle than this very narrow microscope, as it were. Number two, he says, look at the the nature of your life. In verse 27, he says this, "In in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What what is what is what is being anxious and worrying going to do to further my life? In fact, we all know it's actually the opposite, isn't it? Anxiety and worry about every little thing and being consumed by it doesn't further our life, it actually shortens our life because it brings stress into our lives which has all kinds of negatives. We don't eat right, we don't um, sleep right. We are irritable with family and friends. We typically self-medicate in some way to numb us from having to deal with these things. And so Jesus says, you can't add anything to your life. Don't take away from your life. You can't add. So you're spending all this time, it's useless energy. It's useless energy. Worrying about what's going on. It's just like you've got friends. All of us have friends in our lives. You have toxic friends in your lives. Or you have people in your life who are toxic. Some of you may not. Maybe you've matured enough where you're like, I, I'm just not going to fool with toxic people any longer. But many of us have toxic people in our lives who just suck the life out of us. And we've probably been told on more than one occasion, dude, you just need to cut that person out of your life. And with, Oh, no, I'm going to try to save them. Or I think I can't do it. If I don't help them, somebody else, nobody else will. Well, they'll find somebody else to latch on to, trust me. Right? And at some point, we've got to learn to do that. And it's the same with anxiety. That's sucking our life. Worry about things that we can't control. Thirdly, he says, we look at the Lord's generosity. So we, we look at all of our lives, we look at the nature of our life, and then we look at the Lord's generosity. He says, are the birds not taken care of? Are the lilies not dressed in the finest robes? Uh, if the birds are taken care of and the lilies are taken care of, um, don't you think you're going to be taken care of? Because you're more valuable to God than the lilies. Let me. Here, this is an important thing for us to remember. We don't. I don't. It's probably no new concept. It's probably something we hadn't thought about. Jesus didn't die for flowers. Jesus didn't die for birds. Jesus didn't die for dogs, as much as we love dogs or cats or whatever our pets are. He didn't die for any of that. He died for you. He died for humans. He died for each of us. And if God's taking care of those for whom he did not die, how much more is he going to take care of those for whom he did die? Right? And so... He says we have to look to the Lord's generosity. We look around us all the time. We see if God's taking care of that bird who's just flitting around like it's nobody's business. And, you know, he has, those birds have sucked my wife into thinking that they are, uh, that she is solely responsible for them to have their red juice, those hummingbirds are. And so God has used a human to provide for those birds. 
how much more is God going to provide for his beloved children? Right? And so we think about it in that context. We look at God's generosity. And then lastly, we seek God's kingdom first. We focus our attention on him. The light of the soul focused on the, the light of the world. And we'll receive the gift of grace. And we'll live in the priority of Christ, serving him. First and foremost, amassing our treasures to be with him one day. And as we do that, the Lord will begin to meet those needs and show us how great he is. Now, given what Jesus has said, it should not be a one, any wonder to us as our society begins to turn away from pursuing the kingdom of God more and more. It should not be of concern to us. I mean, it should not be of surprise to us that we are more concerned with amassing treasures on this earth than perhaps ever before in materialistic world. We have a very poor vision of the world because we don't see the world through the lens of Christ, the lens of his word, and we are serving the wrong master. No wonder Americans take more antidepressants than any other country in the world combined. Like, that's a crazy stat. Americans take more drugs to cope with anxiety than all of the world's nations combined. No wonder. Because we've turned our attention away. I'm not saying taking those things is bad. Don't mishear me. But what we need to make sure we're doing is focusing our attention on the glory of God, living for Him, serving Him, resting in Him, seeking His kingdom and trusting Him. Because fundamentally what this is, this is a lack of trust. It's a lack of faith. It's a desire to control my life rather than submitting it to the Lord. And we've got to learn to do that. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to learn to submit. Quit loving the self and start loving me. Sacrifice, deny, discipline yourselves to build treasures in heaven and to serve me. It's a, a wonderfully helpful uh, passage. There are cases where anxiety becomes more than we can bear and we need good treatments. But we also need those treatments with focusing our minds and the proper coping mechanisms that God's given us in his word as we focus in on him. And some of us simply need to learn to cope better as we, cope, we focus our attention on the glory of God and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for our lo your love. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us as we learn to follow you, trust you, live free in you, and not be so consumed with anxiety and worry, which is something that probably most of us have, are, or will struggle with um, pretty severely. We ask that you'll be with us and that you'll give us grace as we follow you. For us in Christ we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. It's been fun.